Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Today's guest is Sharif Abdullah. Sharif is a speaker and author. He's a consultant and an advocate for societal transformation. He works with many different people all over the world in a variety of conditions of conflict and discord where he brings about harmony and balance. He's sometimes called a transformationist. Is that right? Yep. I listened to his TED talk and I just thought that was incredibly inspiring. Sharif, a very warm welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Sharif, you said I could jump the gun, so I'm going to start with a quote from your book. Uh, Your book is Creating a World That Works for All of Us. And here's the quote. Our present world works for only a few. However, by shifting our consciousness, then our culture and institutions, we can create a world that works for all. It's based on the concept of inclusivity as the basis that our lives are inextricably linked to each other. That's a tall order. It definitely is. And it's tall for us because so few of us think that way. Many of us are think, talking about um, global climate change, for example, and that the entire planet is imperiled. But when we think about the planet, we think about this, this ball hanging out in space, we don't think about how many people, cultures, animals, plants, the totality of the living fabric of our planet. What we have to do, what we need to do, is to take all of that into consideration. So the title of my book is Creating a World That Works for All, and that means creating a world that works for all, not all Americans, not all humans, but all beings on the planet. So our quest is a quest for life itself. How can we place life at the top of our agenda, as opposed to all the other things that we could, be, we, we could have on our agenda and, not, and avoid the issue of dealing with and understanding and being reverent to life itself. So that, yeah, that's our, our big challenge. That's the big vision. And that's the thing that should be motivating us to act, the thing that should be motivating us to change our ways personally and change our ways in terms of the planet itself. So why do we need to change what we're doing? <laughs> well, there's, there are two answers to the question. One answer is, are you kidding? (laughs) Because if you are even semi-conscious, you know that we have amazing problems in front of us right now. When you think about where all of us were just one year ago, no COVID, no George Floyd killing, no cities on fire, none of the stuff going on. And all of this happened just in one year. But our problems didn't start this year. Our problems didn't start 10 years ago. They didn't start 100 years ago. They didn't start 500 years ago. They started 
at a given point in time when we developed a consciousness, a type of consciousness. And the type of consciousness we developed is the consciousness that says, I am separate from you. I'm separate from you and I can do basically anything I want to do to you and it doesn't come back to me at all because, yeah, I'm separate from you. So I'm separate from you because of our race, because of our gender, because of education, because of the region of the world we were uh, raised in. I'm separate from that tree outside. I'm separate from the animals that live in the forest. And this notion for over a million years, human beings had, had seen themselves as an integral part of the planet. When we talk to the keepers, the people that, 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 that are known as the indigenous people in the world, all of them have a reverence for life and a reverence for all of the beings that live in their, in their environment, in their ecology. We lost that somewhere. We, somewhere in our process, something else became more important. Things like power became important. Things like control became important. Things like money became important. So in this society right now, money is our primary objective. Everything, everything is reduced to money and, or money equivalents and everything is measured by money. If it doesn't have money, if it isn't worth money, it's not important. We will pay someone millions upon millions of dollars if they have the ability to hit a ball with a stick or to take a ball and put it into a net. We will not pay the people who support our society, the housewives, the people who form the basis of the society. The we don't pay them anything because we don't value it. We don't have a way of valuing it. The farm workers. Um... We, we pay them as little as possible. And we begrudge them the little bit that we're giving to them. We have to re-examine everything. We have to re-examine our entire value structure. And we have to reevaluate it, not in terms of what will make me money right now. We have to reevaluate it in terms of what increases and enhances and connects us to the web of life itself. That is the tall order. So you're talking about value shift, really? Well, value shift is one of the shifts. I think, I think of this as a total consciousness shift. Oh. For example, you can change your values, but that doesn't mean that you have a vision. You can change your values and your vision, but you do, still doesn't mean you have a direction. You can change your values, your vision, your direction, but it still doesn't mean that you have an all-encompassing idea of where you live, where you are, how you function in the, in the web of life. Now, we know that, for example, the keepers here in, in North America, the Native Americans, had a value structure that says that they, they make every decision based on what 
happened seven generations before and what they can um, they can envision happening seven generations in the future so this time span which would be you know 100 years 200 years is is the focus of how they make a decision right now our corporations and our business people make decisions based on the next quarterly report they're thinking 3 months out and how can I make more money in this three-month period than I did in the last three-month period? Now, that is a recipe for disaster because it keeps everybody focused on greed. And it keeps everybody focused away from what's our past. It keeps everyone focused away from what's our future. And then... When the past comes up and bites us in the butt, we're looking around like, what just happened? The situation, for example, with the George Floyd murder, what we don't recognize, what we as a society don't recognize, that the seeds of that have been sitting and festering for 200 years. And that was now, just the tipping point that knocked it over the edge. Up until George Floyd was killed, there had been scores, hundreds of other black people killed by the police. And there are protests here, protests there, and they, they would die down. It's unfortunate for him. But his killing was just the thing where enough people said, Enough That's it. is enough. Well, uh, but unfortunately, it'll happen again because, and this is the part that I'm talking about, no one is talking about changing consciousness. What we're talking about is defund the police or dismantle the police or reparations or uh, on the other hand, uh, law and order and, and lock up the terrorists and all this sort of, so you're going yap, 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 yap at each other. If we just change these rules or if we just change these uh, fundings or this and that, it'll fix the problem and it'll go away. And that's exactly how we want to approach it. We want to approach it on the level of, I want this to go away, so how much money do I need to throw at it? How many new rules and regulations do I need to throw at it? How many statutes can, I, can we... And on the other hand, how many demonstrations can we, can we have, etc.? Now, all of us are familiar with a quote by Albert Einstein that you can't solve the problem with the same consciousness that created the problem. He said this, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. Yep. And we're still doing it. So, the, so my call for a change in consciousness is not we need to change the consciousness of the police. It's not we need to change the consciousness of the Congress or our local uh, mayor or the governor or anything like that. Our challenge is how do we change the consciousness of all and how do we move that consciousness from the belief that I am separate to the belief that we are one. And again, that's the, that's the biggest of the big pictures that I can, I can see. 
So you you um, worked with guys that were racist in in a corporation, and and they had to sit through four hours with you, and they'd pull pull their hat down and and uh, not participate. And at the end of four hours, they were absolutely transformed. How did you do that? It's magic. I have I have a magic pen. I wave it around, and then they all change. Yeah. But just for for those who are listening, no, it's not magic. It's it's actually paying attention and trying to recognizing what has to happen. So let me paint that picture. I get called into workforces where they are experiencing some level of uh, negative behavior, and it could be uh, around race, but it's, a lot of times it's around something else. Mm. It could be around race, but as I as I say in my book. Race is just a presenting symptom. It's a very important symptom. We can't ignore that. But if you stay stuck at that symptom level, it's like uh, a person having lung cancer. And what you're trying to do is give them cough drops so they can stop coughing. It's like, no, if you're, if you're really serious about this, you've got to get to the, the deepest level of the underlying disease. The further down you go, you start seeing that these things that we think of are separate, we see that they start to conjoin. So racism starts looking like sexism. Sexism starts looking like classism. Classism starts looking like I am separate. I am separate from all people starts looking like the damage we create to the ecology when I believe that I am separate from all other living beings. So what I do in however long a time I have to do it is help people to understand their role in, in life. And for a lot of people, they don't understand their role. They don't understand what they're doing here, especially in our society where we're blinded by the fact that we don't have the kind of leadership to help us work through the difficult times. Our leaders want us to be blind. And I'm talking about the leaders on the left and the right. They want us to be complacent. Our leaders want us to basically go away and they'll solve the problem for us. What we have to do is say, no, all of us created this problem and all of us have to change it. And all of us have to begin the process of growing up. Growing up means taking responsibility for myself as an individual, taking responsibility for my community, and taking responsibility for my planet as a co creator, a co-conspirator on my planet, that we're in this together. Hmm. So do you, how do you shift people to that? I mean, that's, how do you shift consciousness in four hours? I, I'm just amazed. First of all, you have to have done the work on yourself. Hmm. So, so my 30 years Yes. of working to shift my consciousness, I can distill that down for people in a relatively short period of time. 
Okay. Number one. Second of all, you have to understand the problem. So I walk into this room with, uh, filled with uh, white males. And if I walk in believing that racism is the problem, we're going to get stuck at that level. I'm going to be batting air at them, and they're going to be batting air at me, and we're going to cross each other in the room. And probably four hours later, they are going to be as um, angry as they were when they walked in the room, and if not more. Entrenched in their own. And I would have entrenched them by saying the problem is something that the problem is not. What I do is look at who they are and look at what their needs are and look at how they try to satisfy their needs in an inappropriate way. And when we start looking at what our, what our human needs are, all of us have a need to connect with the other. All of us have a need to be appreciated. All of us have a need to be well. And I don't mean just physically well, but mentally well, emotionally well. All of us have a need to be happy. And I don't mean entertained. I don't mean titillated. Our country is great at entertainment, is great at titillation, is great at turn the volume of your flat screen TV up so that you don't have to think about your reality. But there's something that's deep down in our hearts that isn't getting fed, and you can see it. In my book, I call this the hunger for the sacred. Now, having a hunger for the sacred, and I, got, I should say very quickly for people in your audience, uh, by sacred, I am not talking about religion. I'm not talking about any religious practice. I'm not talking about any particular dogma, etc. I'm talking about a condition that's in your heart that meets and connects with the transcendent, that which goes beyond your body. Okay, And so each of us has a hunger for that. If you don't know how to feed the hunger, you wind up with spiritual starvation. And spiritual starvation is the condition where you don't know how to get fed. Now, when I am spiritually starved, my behavior comes out in some very predictable ways. So when I walk into the room, I'm making the assumption that because they're in this room and because I've been hired to to talk with them, everybody I'm facing is facing some level of spiritual starvation. They're facing some level of violence, some level of numbing, some level of despair, of depression. And I'm talking about, you can be smiling on the outside, but you can still have this level of depression and despair on the inside. Some level of being disconnected from the divine. Again, no, I'm not saying any religions or anything like that. Some level of disconnection from yourself and some level of disconnection from others. So what we do is talk about that. How do you get fed? For most 
No, I'd say almost all of the people that I deal with in a workshop situation like that, they've never thought of that question before. They've never, ever thought about what is it that feeds me? Because society has been telling them, oh, you want a car. You want a house. You want a girlfriend or boyfriend. You want another car. You want a bigger house. <laughs> and we keep that going until they drop dead. And then you want a really nice casket. Okay. <laughs> uh, which, which means you've never, ever really been alive. So I'm talking to, you know, a group of, of people. And for the first time in their lives, and these, these could be people who go to church every Sunday or go to the temple every Saturday or go to the mosque every Friday. They could be believing people, but they've never, ever, ever thought about this. You know, who am I? What do I want? How do I fit? Okay, let me, let me answer the question a little bit more uh, in, in this direction. Most of the time, the behavior that gets labeled as racist, the behavior that and I get called into situations where gender is an issue, gender or orientation, hmm. it, the, the behavior that we would call sexist is the kind of behavior that this person is aiming at this other person over here because they're willing to aim it at themselves. They are putting down this person because of their race, because they are more than willing to put themselves down. And they do that all the time. So what my work, what I, the work that I do in four hours is, how can you be the fullest possible human being that you can be in the context of where you work, the context of where you live, what your family look like. If we were raised in a society where I'm constantly putting the other down, I'm constantly putting my coworkers down, I'm constantly putting my wife down, I'm constantly putting my children down, I'm constantly putting my dog down, okay? If I was raised in that society, I'm going to repeat the behavior without thinking. I'm going to get you to think about the behavior. And I want to get you to think about the behavior, not just what happened to you, but now what are you perpetrating on others? And getting people to recognize you can't elevate this person's viewpoint unless they elevate their own viewpoint. Somewhere around the second hour, they'll start to go into all of the ways that society puts them down. Now, we have this notion in our society. Uh, we have a story in our society that all the problems of our society are due to white males, okay? The patriarchy, down with the patriarchy. Now, I talk to the white males who are doing this behavior and they know something that the rest of us don't know. They know they don't have any power. They know they are powerless. They get angry when people tell them the society is messed up because of you because they know they don't have any power. This is a really, really important point 
Uh, this is something that Václav Havel, the president of the Czech Republic, said in his book, Living in Truth. We've created a new kind of structure on our planet. He called it auto-totality. He says this is a totalitarian structure. This is just like all the other totalitarian structures that we've had. This is like communism or fascism, etc. But this is a totalitarian structure on autopilot. It operates automatically. It doesn't matter who's at the top. So right now we're spending these tens of millions of dollars on this presidential election to change the window dressing on auto totality. We're spending all this money, but the system will just keep churning right along. The system will keep grinding people up. What we have to do is start to recognize that the system only changes when I change it in my heart first, and then I can make the change outside. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm at the third hour now of the four hours. <laughs> and so once I, once I issue an invitation to them, and the invitation is, it's time for you to become an adult. Now, this may sound strange, so I'm talking to men who are in their 30s or 40s. Right. But they've never been invited to leave the high school locker room behind. They've never been invited to start recognizing that their words have consequences. They've never been invited to recognize that they are an integral and important part of the society that they're living in. So a lot of them, almost all of them are blue collar workers. They will tell me people look down on them because of the work that they're doing. They look down on them because they're spreading asphalt. They look down on them because they're doing bridge repair. They look down on them because they crawl down into a sewer to do their work. Now, you let that sewer back up and look at how important they become in our society. They're important because the sewers don't back up. And I've been in societies where they back up regularly and believe me, that is no fun at all. We don't think about them. They're just the background for us. They're the background unless something screws up and then we get angry at them and tell them to come fix it. We have this attitude that puts them down for who and what they are. We have this attitude where we look at their work, we look at who they are, and we call them despicable people. We should be ashamed of ourselves for doing something like that. But we're not, you know. We're, we're, you know, you know, me and my group, we're fine. We've created a world that works for me and my friends. And that's pretty much the model for all of us in this society and around the world. And we have to change that because if it's creating a society for me and my friends, that society is doomed. I think it's time for us to, to recognize that. And I think it's time for us to remedy that in all instances, not just racially, not just sexually, not just in terms of finances, not just in terms of ecology, 
but to recognize it's all one problem and it all has one solution. And you're going to say consciousness shift <laughs> back to the I'm gonna, inclusive well, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to say consciousness shift, but I'm going to say that in order to do that, you have to practice the shifting of your consciousness and practice it every single day in every opportunity of every day. So people will come to my workshops and they will, uh, they, they like the workshops, they buy the book, they applaud at the end of, uh, of my talk. <laughs> and almost no one says, okay, Sharif, what do I do now? What do I do? Yeah. And I then say, yeah, and, and this, actually this is a, um, a, a workshop I do is on the 12 global challenges to think the 12 things that every, that are literally facing every human being, not just Americans. I say, take one of the 12 global challenges and solve it in your own life. Then take the second one and solve it in your own life. And then take the third one. You're going to need your neighbors for the third one. Then take the fourth one. And when you start doing this, you're going to start thinking globally. Uh, it's like a, uh, a global 12-step program? <laughs> uh, we need one. <laughs> we definitely need one. We are drunk on ourselves. And I think it's time for us to, to, to go cold turkey on this way of thinking. So a couple of years ago, I was doing a, um, a workshop and people came up to me and said, I want to do something. And I said, take something that's really, really easy. And these were, these were people who had some means. I said, you know, put, put solar cells on your house. You know, generate your own uh, hot water. The sun is shining. It's going to shine. It's, 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 it's there and it's generating power. Generate your own electricity. Generate your own hot water. And this is proven technology. This isn't something that, that is um, you know, fanciful. So they said, okay. A couple of years later, I was back in the same city, and they came to my presentation again, and they said, we did not understand or, un or believe how hard it was to do something that makes so much sense. Every structure in our society prevented them from doing it. The homeowners association says, we have a, a, a clause that says you can't put anything on, on your roof. You know, they had to fight their homeowners association. Then they had to fight the city that said, oh, no, we're the only ones that can generate uh, electricity in the city. And then they had to fight the power company. And then they had to fight. They said it took them two years to do something that made all the sense in the world. Now, that's the place where most people say, well, to hell with it. You know, I'm just going to go back and watch my TV. So what they were doing was demonstrating their change in consciousness. They were demonstrating that they had actually changed their consciousness. Another thing I tell people is pull all of your money out of the bank that is doing all the ex exploitive things in the world and put it in a uh, community or a, a community oriented bank or a credit union or something that where you have direct control over what what of how the money gets spent 
and they're not spending the money on nuclear weapons, financing nuclear weapons. They're not spending the money on destroying the Brazilian rainforest, etc. Now, that's not like the solar cells. You can, you can go down to your bank at any time and pull the money out and put it in another bank. And we don't do that because, well, you know, this one's been convenient for me, or this one had a special offer. I got a toaster when I opened my account, or this one at a such and such. The bottom line is all of the processes continue to go on, even though people may want this to change. This is going to continue until enough people wake up or until those institutions collapse. And if the institutions collapse, guess who the institution collapses onto? It, when the institution falls down, it's going to fall on you. I've had the honor, the opportunity, and the awful, and I mean that in, in, in every sense of the word, responsibility to be a witness around the world to our future. I was in Russia when the USSR collapsed and the second largest superpower in the world just went away overnight. It's, it's gone. I was in Argentina when their economic system collapsed. Mm. My friends in Argentina said, you know, they were planning on you know, going out uh, for an evening on the town. So you go by the ATM because you're going to need some cash. You put your card in, you put your number in, and it takes your card away and doesn't give you any cash forever. All the money you have in the bank right now disappears, and it disappears overnight. For, for the Argentines, all the money that they had was the money that was in their pocket at that moment in time. Now, what do you do? In the face of that, you either pull away or you pull together. And you do that based on what's lying in your heart right now before the collapse. So when I was in Russia and I was talking to um, some of the people, some of the older folks who remembered the siege of Stalingrad, they said we had we couldn't even believe how, how terrible things were. After you eat all the horses, after you eat all of the, the anything that's not a human being, mm -hmm. you start, they're talking about taking the wallpaper off the walls and boiling it down because the glue that held the wallpaper up might have some protein in it. Okay. And he said, we got through that time. And we got, we're going to get through the time we're in right now because we're Russians and we do this. We will pull ourselves together and we will save ourselves. Now, look at what America's doing right now. In the face of, of what we're experiencing right now, we haven't even begun to see hard times like the, where they were uh, that I've seen in, in the rest of the world. Um, I've been to Cuba several times, and I was talking to someone who talked about how when things got rough in Cuba, they had to eat all the dogs. And he said he had a dog. He says, 
you can't eat your own dog. Okay. And so he staked his dog out and said goodbye and staked the dog outside in his backyard. And he know, knew that his neighbor came and killed and ate his dog. And he jumped his fence and he killed and ate his neighbor's dog. These are things that we should not have to think about as human beings. But when we stop paying attention to our own reality, guess what's going to hit us? People are worked up and angry because they have to put a mask on because of COVID, or they're worked up and angry because the bars are closed or whatever. And, you know, we've, we've kind of floated through hard times. But when it hits us right smack in the face, that's where the condition of your heart is really important. And that's where you have to, have to become a higher order of human, someone who can pull people together, someone who can talk directly to people's hearts, not give them all sorts of ideological arguments that in the long run won't make a bit of difference. So we've got a challenge here. And some of us, many of us, and I'm hoping enough of us are going to be able to, to meet that challenge. So as evictions uh, increase and people run out of money and places to stay and whatever that we're, we're looking to how can we feed each other? How can we uh, open our hearts to our neighbor, to what's happening, to people that we wouldn't have even considered similar or friends or anything? And they're just, but they're in our world. Is that what you're kind of saying? Or? Right. And so when I walked out of the room with the uh, workers, I didn't leave them as friends. I don't want to be their friend. Mm. I don't want them to be my friend. Okay. I left them as my brothers. You don't have to like your family, but you have a responsibility to your family. You have a responsibility with your family. I think that asking the question how we feed each other or how we feed ourselves is asking too small a question. The question is, who are we as a society? What do we want as a society? We spend trillions and trillions of dollars every year creating, maintaining, deploying nuclear weapons. Each of us could live like a king just based on that. There is no Republican that's going to say, let's get rid of our nuclear arsenal. There is no Democrat who's going to say, let's get rid of our nuclear arsenal. I think it's going to be people who say that. And what do we do with the trillions and trillions of money just from that one thing? We have this intelligence operation called the Central Intelligence Agency, and then spinoffs of that, the National Security Agency, da 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 It's like 18 different security agencies, none of them providing security. All of them going around the world creating mischief but none of them actually giving us any security. So you'd stop funding any of them. What would we do with the trillions and trillions of dollars that we waste in operations like that? 
So we have to ask ourselves the biggest possible question. And there's so many people have talked about how the big business has bought Congress, bought and paid for, fine, let them have it. We're going to go and we're going to govern ourselves in a different way. We're going to create a whole new society. And that's what the founders did. If we really understand what the founders did in the 1770s, they brought in a whole different way of thinking. Up until that time, people had been ruled by kings, few queens. And the king tells you what to do, and you do it happily. You do it grudgingly, or you get your head chopped off. Okay, so that, that was, those were pretty much your options. Our founder said, there's another way of doing this. We think we're smart enough to govern ourselves, that all of us together in this thing that we call a democracy can govern ourselves. When we look at all of the problems that are facing us, when we look at the 12 global challenges, we can see not just the problem, we can see the opportunity to do things in a fundamentally different way. But we can't do it as long as we're addressing our needs to the consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Mm. We either beg the people who created the problem to create the solution, or now we're out on the streets demanding that the people who created the problem create the solution. I think there's another, another approach. We envision and then create the solution. It's sitting in front of us. It's waiting for us to act. For all the people who are fighting in downtown Portland, my city, like uh, literally a mile that way, all the people who are doing that, I invite them. There's a whole other conversation that we should be having. As long as we think the problem is, is each other, we perpetuate the problem. We make the problem bigger. Well, I'm going to pause this very entertaining podcast with Sharif to be continued next week when he gives us a glimpse into the future a hundred years from now. He wrote a book, probably fiction, about humanity in the future called The Chronicles of the Upheavals. Sharif's website, for those of you who want more of his writings and videos, is commonway.org. You can also order his book, Creating a World That Works for All, as well as Chronicles of the Upheavals there. Sharif, thank you very much for joining us, and I look forward to next week's podcast with you to find out what happens to humanity. See you. Bye. So you don't miss any of our shows, make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.